Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your healthy radio addiction starts now. Alan Woods Motorcycle Madhouse on iHeart Radio. And welcome to Motorcycle Madhouse. We have a special, special guest today. Uh, one I believe is going to be one of the best interviews that have been conducted on Motorcycle Madhouse. And that is Ace. And he is a former president of the High Spirits Motorcycle Club, which eventually became the West Side Chicago Outlaws, and he is also the former regional boss of the region. And this is just this is exciting for Motorcycle Madhouse to have somebody of his caliber on the show and to talk about how the old school was, how the 80s biker was. And just how different things have turned, and he's going to talk a little bit about the high spirits and all that stuff. How you doing, Ace? How's it going, bro? Oh, it's going great, man. I'm really, really excited about having you on the show today. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just an honor to have somebody of your caliber on that, especially when I was a snot-nosed kid and uh, first met you in the early 90s. To be able to have you on my show today is just awesome. No, the honor's all mine. Man, well, you know, I let off the show, uh, you know, the 80s biker and the high spirits. Uh, I have, a, you know, a lot of people jab at me all the time on the show uh, because I talk about how different it is today compared to the way I got to learn from, you know, the guys like you. Uh, it's just way different today. Yeah, no, it's a uh, night and day. I mean, you think about the, the things that we have now, like the Internet, and, and everything is so in your face now. Back then, it was really a, a close-knit society. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, and one thing I am really proud to be able to talk about is the uh, high spirits. Because uh, the high spirits actually, you know, they were based back then. I believe it was Bensonville, so that was right down the road. And you guys, the reputation that you guys had, not only for the brotherhood, but the partying. Uh, and you really yeah. set the standard of what the West Side Outlaws, you know, would come to be. No, it, it, was, uh, it was definitely a, a fun time to be around it. 
we didn't have as, as much law enforcement that was crawling up our asses and dying. So it was a little bit more freer and uh, was definitely good times back then for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, with the High Spirits, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who they are and uh, when they came about, you know, the time period uh, they came out of? Sure. The, the, the High Spirits was the idea of a guy named Wizard. He was a, a, a decorated war hero in Vietnam, and he was a door gunner on a helicopter. And he was from Elk Grove. Uh, the High Spirits were, uh, most of us were from uh, either Des Plaines, Mount Prospect, or Elk Grove. We did have a few members in Bensonville as well, so all around O'Hare Airport. But Wizard was a little bit older, and the guys he ran with was a little bit older. And he met a guy named Arm. And Arm was kind of like the de facto leader of a whole bunch of bikers that ran around that area. And the two met, and Wizard was starting his club, and they kind of melded together into one, and it was it was born in 1978 was when it all started, when it, when the whole thing kicked off and the patches went on and they went down the road. Wow. Now It was uh, an old-fashioned motorcycle club, but... Uh, you got to remember, Wizard is a product of the late 60s and early 70s, so the club was a, like really formed in that kind of mantra. You know what I mean? It was old school, not, uh, not like the new clubs. It was very hardcore, very old school. Mm-hmm. And he was the product of, like you said, he was a hero in Vietnam, and I believe the Vietnam era was that what made the, the, you know, the club and the biker lifestyle that it is today. Sure. And then, you know, most of the guys that followed ARM, which I was one of them, we all went to the same high school, and it was Forest View High School. So we go back to childhood, which it's a little bit different in in today's culture. I don't think you would see that as much, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most people grew up together. Yes, yes. And and, uh, brothers, uh, little brothers followed into the Big Brothers. That's how I, I came in. I was friends with Egghead, who was a longtime member of the club, and another guy, Brian, and both of their older brothers were officers in the club, and that's how we started hanging around when we were 16, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> 16. That must have and that, been you know, awesome. Think about, that. think about that today. A 16-year-old hanging out at biker parties, it just doesn't happen because of the laws and the trouble that people could get in giving a 16-year-old a beer. Right, right. Think about that alone, you know? Exactly. Man, that must have been an awesome teenage years. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was it was exciting exciting and frightening at the same time. But they were, they looked out for us. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we got our share of getting roughed up, but in a, in a brotherly way, like an older brother would do a younger brother. You know, we, we got taught that way. But if anyone else messed with us, that would be a real bad mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Was the high spirits mostly made up of vets? Um, well, wizard side of it, there was was quite a few of them. If I remember right, there was a Green Beret or him. There was, there was a few, but uh, his guys, yes. But us guys, we were all 
just guys that uh, grew up around O'Hare Airport. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, the bulk of us. That uh, The bulk of us were all younger and a little bit wild at the time, too. And on Wizard and his guys, in the beginning years, they... You know, they kept things on a straight and narrow. I would, I would think, but uh, uh, you know, as time went on, and they got a little older, and then we stepped up. You know, right? Exactly. Uh, they taught you guys the right way because you passed that on to everybody else. Uh, and well, that's your, you know, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now the high spirits, they weren't, uh, you know, because you know there was uh, how I can say that propaganda out there. Uh, about the high spirits, and I can't believe that one uh, bit with the reputation that the spirits had. Well, that's coming from one guy that uh, has a real sour grape, and and that that's just lies, really. The, the high spirits was an extremely old school, tough motorcycle club. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Uh, it, it 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 wasn't like anything he said at all. I mean. Uh, I, I wouldn't use the term family club about the icebergs. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially during that time period, you know, uh, the the 80s and 90s wasn't uh, the best time around in the Chicago area. Well, no, the, the, the it was instantly uh, a battle, to be mm. honest with you. I mean, it was a, a fight for survival the day they put the patches on. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to lead the Spirits uh, for two years, didn't you? Yes, I, I took over after after Abe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, uh, just for two years, and then we, we joined the AOA. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, the one that actually uh, initiated that one, uh, move? Uh, I don't know if I would say that. I, I would say that a natural bonding formed during that time, a brotherhood uh, due to circumstances that were what was happening. And it was more of a, a natural thing that uh, we had decided that it was time for us to, to step up and take our place, you know, in, the, in that world that was a lot larger than the world one that we were in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But we were... Since the very beginnings of the club, we were always tight with, with the outlaws, especially Greeks. He was always around for us, and he always uh, was good to us, and we always appreciated him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, during that time period, the things that happened, uh, uh, that really pushed us in that direction to where we stepped up. Right. And we didn't want something to happen to our brother, so... Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it happened. It was more of a natural thing. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, what people think, or you get taken over, or something like this. It doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I already. I always laugh about when people bring that kind of stuff up. Yeah, no, it just it doesn't happen that way. And you you don't you don't go into a, a club like like the LA uh, uh, like that. You you have to. You have to earn it. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the one things that I I always love talking to you and picking your brain is you know so much history 
of the AOA. And that, you know, me and Dave Walters, you know, he does a lot of history stuff for us. And we're like, man, the history that Ace knows, it goes all the way back. Uh, well, it's fascinating. It was fascinating to me. You know uh, what I mean? Uh-huh. Now, uh, can you talk about uh, where the McCook outlaws, uh, how they move, did they actually move into the Chicago and all that type of stuff? Because there's always been uh, that thing that uh, McCook wasn't really the original crew or something. Maybe you know more about that. Oh, cool. no, they were definitely the original crew. They were racers. They were rowdy. Uh, they uh, were, were a little bit less organized back then the clubs they all wear wore uniforms and 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 had flags and stuff like this and the mccook the mccook motorcycle club that's how it started they were more ragtag and they were in the races and uh, they became the mccook outlaws when the announcer for the aoa in soldier field uh they were going to do a a parade around the field after the races and everybody got on their bikes and they all had their flags and took motorcycle club didn't have nothing. So one of the girls took their bra off and they put it on a broomstick. <laughs> and that was their flag. And they rode around the track and the announcer commented, look at them. They're nothing but a bunch of outlaws. And born. Uh-huh. And yeah, but, we uh, did have, we were. did have racing in uh, soldier field back in the day. Yes, yes, that that was definitely that you could trace the lineage right from there. Uh, uh, what happened to to a lot of those guys is World War Two, mm-hmm. and they uh, they all went to war. And yeah, I think pretty much the whole club did. And wow. when they came back, you know, most of the work was in the city, so mm-hmm. a lot of them moved into the city, and that's how it really started the, the Chicago part of it. Mm-hmm. But you could you could trace. The lineage of the club right back to that McCook Motorcycle Club, no doubt about it. Oh, that's awesome. And you know what? The one thing that, you know, I really look up to with the AOA is they're, and I think it's been like this through history, is they're blue-collar working guys. Definitely. You know, I think that's what makes them different than most clubs. Always have been. Uh it's always uh, always been that way, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were inner city guys and guys that worked in factories or worked in the in the auto shops and you know this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them and went they, to war too for this country. Sure, you know you can actually trace the changes of the club from the wars and world, after World War II, the club got humongous mm-hmm. and there was a lot of changes after World War II because the guys were. A lot of them were, were soldiers, and they learned a lot, and they organized, and the, the club got better and bigger. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after Korea and Vietnam, the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you could, yeah, you're right. You could actually see the history of the how the patch uh, changed and all that type of stuff. It, it was tied to a lot of the wars. Uh, but talking about the blue-collar aspect, uh, is the high spirits were blue-collar guys, too, I'm assuming. Oh, big time. Uh, you know, we we all grew up uh, in, around uh, Elk Grove in Bensonville, which is the biggest industrial park in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were all blue-collar guys, mm-hmm. all of us, sure. Now, what's some of the, you know, the funniest or, you know, the most intense parties that you had as a high spirit? 
Oh God, there were so many. <laughs> I mean, it, it, even pin it down to one. I mean, it's it, it was a lot of crazy times. Uh, I think if you if you look back, I'm sure uh, arm jumping the doorway on the spruce with a full bagger that that had to be a oh, wow. uh, one of the top ones. He he took a, a bagger with uh, uh, a cassette player, an uh, A-track player in it, and they built a ramp in front of the bar, and the ramp was six foot tall, and he flew over the doorway. <laughs> and what's funny about it is when the bike hit the ground, everything flew off, but he didn't crash. <laughs> he pulled it together. And that was, that was a good one. But I would also say that we, we had an enormous party in Lake County in the 80s, on an old farm, and I believe there must have been, oh, God, every club in the area was there, and there was thousands of people, and we called it Fish Lake Farm Fest, mm-hmm. and it was humongous. And it, back then, Lake County was, like, real rural. Right. And I don't think nobody expected it, and, and people just kept coming and coming. It even freaked us out because we were running back and getting – liquor and beer from all of the liquor stores all over the place. We bought out everybody. But that was another big one. But there were so many back then. I, you know, that's really what it was. I mean, a lot of it was, was you know, having parties and riding. A, a lot of times we would we would be mobile and we would be having parties everywhere we went. <laughs> you know, we, we, we followed the races, the high spirits. We were, we were in Springfield every year. Uh, for the races, and then we would go up north. We had a campground uh, that was run by some people that we knew in, uh, well, it was right near Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, and we went up there every Labor Day. So, you know, it was, it was just constant, constant riding, co- constant park. And, and like I said, you know, back then, we didn't have uh, law enforcement crawling up our ass and dying like they do now, you know. It's a bike scene. It's a completely different animal nowadays. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> we would pull into little towns in Wisconsin, and the, the sheriff would wait at one end, and they'd just roll us through without even stopping at stoplights. They just wanted us out. They didn't want us to stop. <laughs> so, I mean, it was that's how it was. You know, it was... It was a lot different back then. It really was. A lot more fun, too, I can tell you. <laughs> right? Did you guys' uh, spirits get to party with uh, Milwaukee AOA? Because uh, they're pretty legendary. Sure. Uh, we uh, we went to uh, uh, Roger Lyons' uh, 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 memorial several times. And, sure, we've seen guys from Milwaukee all the time. Man, Roger Lyons, that's, uh, yeah. Whew. That's uh, still something that uh, is a controversy, uh, Lions. Sure. It's, it's just evil what they did. I mean, they beat them to death in a, in a, in a paddy wagon. I mean, mm. but, you know, the Milwaukee police have had a long history of, of doing shit like that. Right. It's real sad what they did. And, and it really what was even, even worse is Roger was a, a decorated war hero. He served in Vietnam. I mean. And, and they did that to him, you know. Exactly. Nobody was ever held account uh, accountable, were they? No. Man, it's messed nope. up. What was your, uh, you know, as high spirits? What was your philosophy? Was it, uh, you know, I know most clubs want to just blow up and get all the numbers, 
But, I, you know, the way you talked about it earlier was it was family, you grew up, and that's the way a lot of the clubs were back then. You had to grow up with somebody to actually get in or get a prospect time, didn't you? Yeah, no, there was, there was really never any emphasis on growing or, or that kind of thing. It was, uh, it was more uh, uh, meet during the week to, to figure out what we're going to do on the weekend and just roll the wheels off our bikes. Uh, never really took too much thought into that in the early days. It was just, uh, you know, emphasis on, on riding and having fun. I mean, back then, you know, you, you had a sleeping bag on the back of your bike and you'd pull into a campground and, set everything up and break out the barrels of beer and sleep next to your bike and go home the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, it's not like today where they want to get in those campers and motel rooms. <laughs> no, no, we, we, you know, we were riding around on panheads and shovelheads. I mean, Oh man. You know, so you, 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 you had a good, you had a good bikes. wrench with you then. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was more, more, like you said, blue collar. I mean, it was there was none of that. I mean, there was guys could, guys couldn't even afford hotels back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we we went we stayed at campgrounds and we got kicked out of a bunch of them. <laughs> 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 they kicked us out of a, a campground in somewhere in Savannah. That now it cracks me up because nowadays Savannah's a big biker destination. Back then, they hated bikers mm-hmm. and. They, they threw us out, and we ended up going to the park in the middle of town, and we just sat there all night long and partied, and they were like, what are you doing? I was like, well, we're drunk. What do you want us to do? They just threw us out of the campground. Where are we supposed to go? You know? They, gave, they finally just gave up on us and hoped that we left the next morning, you know? Right. Yeah, Savannah Poopies but, is out there now. <laughs> yeah. That, I always crack up about that because people always say, oh, Savannah's a great biker town. I'm like, yeah, I don't remember it being that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're too busy kicking us out and telling us to go to hell and stuff, but now they're a whole Yeah, well, gee. Nowadays, they smell the money, you know, these little towns, they all smell the money. Back then, we were, you know, just above animals to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, man, you know, the high spirits, they made up what is now the West Side. And in my opinion, well, maybe I'm biased or whatever, but I believe the West Side guys are some of the best in the outlaw nation. Uh, you know, you led uh, the region. Uh, then you got pop. Well, I call him pops, but Steve, he's, you know, I, somebody he's like godlike status to me because he taught me so much when, uh, you know, kids like us didn't have that kind of uh, instruction. And they just took the sure. time. He took the time with us. And one of the biggest things he taught me was, you know, always fight what you think is right, stand up for what you think's for right. Uh, but some of the best uh, men came out of the high spirits. Uh, how does oh, that? Yeah. How did that... Was, Go ahead. Steve was, Steve was one of a kind. I mean, he when he came around, he he was a legend by himself in the flames. <laughs> everybody everybody knew him before he even joined the club uh you know so yeah awesome awesome people and you know god bless them guys for 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 still running still running hard and still uh making all of us proud and 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 running the streets it's it's, it's awesome to know that this thing is still going and them guys are are still still doing it it's awesome <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel knowing that uh, the high spirits had such an impact on uh, the nation as a whole? Well, you know, it's, it, it's it, you know, it's a proud feeling, but I don't think back then no one even thought like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, it was uh, it was just true brotherhood, really. It, uh, I never even thought like that. I mean, when when we got into the to the AOA, it just opened up so much for us. We we had so many places to go, and the, the, the from Chicago, Florida, was wide open. I had some of the best times of my life traveling on my bike, running down the road. You know. Mm. Well, you did a lot when of we it. Were high spirits, when we were high spirits, we you know we would plot our own stuff. I mean, there was we were more limited. When, when you get into a club like the AOA, I mean. You got brothers all over, and there's so many cool things to do. It would take you a lifetime just to really experience all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. What was it like? Because uh, I actually got a picture of them on my wall uh, coming, transitioning from high spirits to AOA and being under a legend like Taco Bowman. Oh, man. Uh, the man was. Just to be in his presence, you knew you were around someone special. Mm-hmm. He almost could see things happening before they happened. He was that good. Wow. But he was just a, a, a blast to be around, and and we we had great times uh, uh, riding and, and partying, and you know what I mean. But mm. as a as a leader, he was just second to none. Right. I mean, everybody respected him. Everybody loved him. It was a very special time to be around, I will tell you that. Well, that, that's when uh, the AOA expansion started happening worldwide was under Taco, wasn't it? Sure. You know, they, All of it, they yeah. just blew up under Taco. Uh, it, it, it was, it was a, 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 I would think that it more came to us more than, more than the club looking for other people. I mean, people were knocking down his door. I mean, he had to be leery of all of it that was happening. I know some of it he was very careful about, you know. Mm-hmm. We came in with the Australian brothers. Oh, and wow. they were they were hanging around for years before they were even even came come in, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, right. I don't I don't I don't think you know, he it's hard to say. I think it, it more the outlaws don't go out recruiting people. It just they just don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you go you go to them. You know what I mean? Right. And you you have to you have to prove yourself to them. You don't you you don't they they don't come to you. It doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Well, I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of misconception out there about how clubs expand and stuff. No, that's just that's just the way it is. That's the that's the honest to God's truth. I mean, uh, you gotta you gotta want. It, mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it works. And and only people say otherwise are people that were never in it. Right now, how was your transition? How was it uh, from being in a high spirit, then all of a sudden, you know, you did your perspective time and you had that Charlie on your back? Well, for us, it went pretty smooth because. We were just like them, just small scale. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really have problems. We had fun. I mean, we were we were run, running all over the country. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, it, it was great. I mean, uh, uh, but that's that's how we were, though. We were tailor-made for, for them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's just how we were. But we were already a hardcore kind of club, so it was not really a a, a, a big thing. You right. know what I mean? It was more of a, more of a you know, get to know everybody, uh, introducing yourselves and and uh, traveling the country, which I enjoyed myself. Oh man, there was everywhere you to go. I remember the pumpkin parties as a piston. I loved the pumpkin party uh, out of Atlanta. Oh, yeah. uh, but you know, the high spirits uh, had some. You know, the guys when I was a piston. You know, you had of course you, Stever. Uh, then you had Wizard and Mountain. I love Mountain to death. Uh, he was, he's like the best to me. Uh, Mountain, but one of the things I always remembered and I knew. Uh, meant a lot to the chapter was uh, the memorial rides for the high spirit members. Sure. And yeah, that, that started that, uh, that, that started after Zeke died, and uh, uh, we went every year, and we would go and uh, and go to his grave and and remember all the the good times we had. You know, when you get that close to someone, it's the best way I could describe it, it's 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 even more intense than you know your your mother brother or your sister. It's you get that close, you know what I mean? Right. So when you lose somebody, it's it's very hard to deal with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so we, uh, we, we that, did that every year just to remember. You know. Well, that was uh, I believe it was the Arcadia Cemetery, and then the one that uh, John Belushi's buried in him, if I'm uh, correct. Yeah, that's where Zeke's buried. Okay, yeah. See, I still remember that to today, and that's one thing that I think the West Side excels at is they make sure all their perspectives or other supporters know the history, where most clubs don't. Well, you got to know where you came from, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, that's something I believe that you guys excelled at. You know, you guys actually taught, uh, you know, I think I was, what, 20-something when I came. You taught us how to be men. And, you know, a lot nowadays, you, I feel sorry for the new guys because they don't get that. Yeah, well, we always, uh, you know, the, one of the things you had to be is a, is a man, and you, you had to be honorable, man of your word. Mm. You had to be there. You know that sort of thing. So that just went hand in hand, and that's that's something that uh, that was just part of us. I mean, you you weren't gonna you weren't gonna be a member of the high spirits if you weren't a man and you weren't honorable and, and you weren't there all the time for your brothers. It's just you wouldn't you wouldn't be in, you know. Right, right. Uh, and that's yeah. part of the reason why we didn't get enormous either. You know, we were we were not a super huge club, but we were we were very tight and strong. You know. You had a real core that you knew that you wouldn't have to worry about, uh, and they would always be there. Oh, yeah. No, you never even had to think twice about that. Well, the moniker or uh, the, uh, how can I say it, uh, the saying within AOA is biking and brotherhood. And <laughs> it's true with the AOA. And, you know, doing this job and being in it, uh, I get to talk to all kinds of clubs, and there's nobody that even comes close in my mind anyway. Uh, maybe I'm biased or whatever, but uh, you can actually feel it when you're around Charlie. Of course, yep. 
And, it's always been that way too. And you know, you know, a lot of people get nervous going around big clubs and stuff. You never felt that way around AOA. It was always welcoming. At uh, you know, the best parties I went to, of course, was Pumpkin. But the South Side party, man, the South Side was uh, that was the thing. Uh, you know, uh, sweet home. Uh, you always felt com- you always felt comfortable. And you know, the oh, the breakout runs at the West Side, uh, everything. I have so many fond memories as a high spirit. Even before I was, I was a boss. Our clubhouse was on Harlem Avenue and Roosevelt Road, and we would go to the Sweet Home Chicago, and we'd get on 290 and just open up our bikes all the way, all the way to Western Avenue. <laughs> and this goes back to before you know was on when it was on Roosevelt Road, uh-huh. and it was always great times and most of the all of the clubs in chicago would be there that were about anything and we were all friends mm-hmm. you know the bulk of us we were, we were all friends we were friends with the high spirits were very good friends with the wheelman oh yeah that was Will, wheelman was north side that was skid boy do i remember skid <laughs> oh yeah i i remember skid when he joined the wheelman <laughs> oh wow, that's way back. <laughs> well, and the wheelmen, yeah, they were I mean, some yeah. tough. Uh, they were tough bastards too, man. The wheelmen oh, were no yeah. joke. <laughs> High spirits and the wheelmen were were very close. That's why this thing was a very natural fit. We used to go on runs with the wheelmen. The wheelmen had a piece of property up north somewhere where they would have a party on. I think Labor Day, if I'm not mistaken, but it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And we used to go up there and camp with them guys, and just we would just party all day and all night. <laughs> you know, then we'd get on our bikes, and it would always be raining coming home from Wisconsin. <laughs> over, fighting those storms, waiting to see the Illinois line, you know? Right. <laughs> One of the biggest memories I have of uh, Skid was the first time I walked into that Northside uh, clubhouse and they had the rattlesnakes sitting in the cage. They had a rattlesnake sitting yeah. there. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like snake guy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I seen my first cottonmouth the other day swimming in the river. That freaked me out. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that rattlesnake was something else. I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and they knew how to party too, yeah. man. Skid did. Yeah, the wheelman had them freaking rattlesnakes, and then the Fugawi tribe had a freaking alligator. <laughs> the Fugawis, yeah. they had some yeah. kick-ass parties too. Yeah, they had an alligator, and and I I thought they were both nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't decide to get any alligators or rattlesnakes over at the west side when you took over. <laughs> Listen, we it, we tried to get a dog once, and we couldn't even take care of that. And then when we and we did have it, the thing turned so vicious it was like a lion. And <laughs> he eventually went home with one of the brothers, but uh, uh-huh. yeah, we weren't good. We weren't good with animals. Right. We, we, we were animals ourselves, and that was plenty to handle. Right. Well, you guys were, I don't know, man. I think you guys were the partiers out of Chicago. <laughs> you guys know well, how to party. <laughs> we were young back then, dude. I mean, we were we were at our peak, you know. We were young men, and we were just having the time of our lives, you know. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> One thing I really liked about when uh, you were running the region is Chicago was so tight with all the clubs. All the clubs were always together, you know, parties, everything. Uh, how, sure. did, how did you get all the clubs so tight? Where I they- can't take credit for that. that that's all grease lightning. Grease? Okay. Uh, you know, when I came... When I came in, 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 in all I did was kind of like put it kind of back together, you know. Mm-hmm. But that Greece had that going on for for years and years and years. Everybody loved them. Everybody, everybody would would come and party. But for the high spirits, the outlaws were like father figures to us. They were they were older. They've been around. They 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 had much more skill and knowledge. We were. A bunch of nuts, you know what I mean. We were young, and and uh, you know we learned a lot from them. They were like big brothers to us, you know, and they were always there for us, you know, always, mm-hmm. even in in the early days. And in the early days, Wheelmen and the and the Outlaws and, and the Fagali were the only ones we really knew, you know. Right, right. That, yeah. But it was like that for years, dude. It was like that. I mean, I'm going all the way back to the mid '80s. It was like that, and and it was probably like that long before that, even you know. Right. Well, then you had. Uh, well, what was so great is you know you had the Chicago, and then you had Milwaukee. It must have been great as a high spirit being well party with them both. You know, just hearing the legends we that happened. <laughs> well, you know, you didn't want to be on the other side of that coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't want Charlie Bennett at your ass. <laughs> you, know, you know what was cool? What was cool about the club is they, at least for me and and for my knowledge and and when I was around, I never felt you know threatened by them or nothing. They were always like a big brother. You know, mm-hmm. they see us. We we were at Bubba's Honda Trap once, and we got into a big scuffle. I, I caught I, I caught some guy crawling in the weeds with a camera, and our old ladies were going to to pee out there in the weeds, and he was taking pictures of them. And, oh man! And he got he got tuned up, and some of Milwaukee's guys came down and said, "Hey, you guys need to you need to stop that shit." <laughs> I was nervous. <laughs> right. Well, you know, one thing you, you bring up the big brother aspect and there's a thing, you know, the media and them damn cops that always put out about support clubs that cannot be the furthest from the truth. You know, when I was a nah, piston, when I was a piston, the AOA, well, father figures to guys like me and stuff like that, but not once were we asked to do anything wrong, not nothing. We were accepted just like everybody else. And if I think the reason why the BP grew as much as they did, it was because of uh, guys like you, Steve, or uh, Mountain Wizard. That, that kind of leadership and that, way, that guidance is what got everybody so big with the BPs. Well, you have to understand that the club is built on a framework of brotherhood. The the, the media and, and the law enforcement are they, it's the last thing that they want anyone to hear. You know, they they lie about that constantly. I mean, it's it's not about making money. It's not about none of that crap. It's all about brotherhood. 
mm-hmm. you know, and that's it, and that's how it works, you know. And if you want to be around that and you want to prove yourself to men like that, you know, they will slowly start to accept you. But you know, it takes a while. Right. Know? Right. Exactly. Uh, but when they do accept you, it's 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 golden. It's a great feeling. You know, till this day, uh, I'm real close with Neon. Uh, we, you know, people know him from our show that we've done a benefit for him. But I'm real tight with him and uh, uh, his family. And it's, you know, it, it's more than brother. We're family. That's how I use my best friend in the world. And, uh, you know, I remember meeting Neon back uh, at Skids at the North Side, and you know, ever since then, it's been a, a close feeling. And that's one thing that uh, the guys of the AOA make people feel like once you're accepted is, hey, you're family. You know, you need something, let us know. Oh, yeah, no. If you fuck up, we're gonna kick Neon, you in the ass. Not. <laughs> he traveled with me a lot. I, I got nothing but good things to say about that man. You know, mm. that's the, the caliber of, of people that you get. You know, in, in the club, right? You know, right? And and it, you know, it, it it's hard, especially you know, people get older and and the health issues that he's had. That's from a lifetime of, of being on the road and stuff. You know what I mean? And, and right, it starts know, wearing I, on. I, that. I hope the best for him. I hope he pulls through all of his medical stuff. He knows I I love him to death. Mm, right and you know that's one thing even when people leave the club you know it's not like oh screw you and all that stuff they still give a shit about you you just still call upon them and you know and i think that's what really makes it different you know maybe it's just you know i i know for sure the west side north side south side are like that i don't know how the other chapters around the country are no it's much bigger it's much bigger than that it's it's like i said it's it, it, it's all about the brotherhood. That moniker, biking and brotherhood, that that goes back a long way, and it really encapsulates what it's all about. Really, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a it's a life on motorcycles with with uh, uh, running the highways and 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 having fun with your brothers. I mean, that's really all they want to do, and and you know, that's a it's a great life, you know. Mm. And well, you know. How does it make you feel when Leo and the media portray the club as, and you know what, it's not like that at all, the way they go out there well, and do their It pisses me business. off, you know, and, it, it, and then, you know, I try to tell everyone that I come in contact with, especially family and stuff like that, that they're just not telling the truth. And I'll tell you uh, one thing, too, is nowadays with, with the cell phones and all that, you know, people are starting to see that they're not the most honest people, the mm-hmm. law enforcement. They're, they can be just as bad as any street gang in some places. Right. You know, right. They, 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 they deal drugs. They do everything that, that everyone else does, except for a lot of them, you know, they get away with it. Because mm-hmm. they got that tin bag. You know, it's all about money, too. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. We are job security for them. You know right. what I mean? Right. They go they go in front of panels and they and they take all these pictures and they say, "Boy, these guys are, you know, look at them. They're animals. They're dangerous. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. We need money. You know, we gotta we gotta look. We gotta watch these guys. We need money. We need more money. More money. And you see, that's that's how it all works. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially what? with motorcycle clubs. Oh yeah. 
What advice would you give to, say, somebody like me who does this show who's out there trying to fight for motorcycle club rights and all that kind of stuff? Which path should we uh, take to really get the public uh, on our side? Win hearts and minds, as I always say. Shine the light on it every time. When, they're, when, when they get caught doing something wrong, shine the light on it. Um, I can remember a lot of things that happened back in the day that was really underhanded, entrapment, and there was no way to get our message out. Mm-hmm. Boy, at all. None of the newspapers would talk to us or listen to us. No, no one would interview us. You know what I mean? Now you have outlets like yours, and I hope they use them and get their stories out because the only way things are going to change is you put the light on it. You know what I mean? Shine a light on it. Right. That's the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think about everything that went ha- happened down in Waco? Because that's one of the biggest subjects that we covered is how law enforcement, uh, you know, handled that, the uh, trials. And uh, finally, they released everybody because they knew they didn't have the evidence against uh, the thing. And believe- I think it was a setup from the start because they had the cops there from the morning until everything went down. Uh, how do you, what was your take on that? Well, you would probably know more about that than me, but my take on it is it's another example of the modern age, how you can, you know, you can use media and put the spotlight on all the crooked things that they did. That's how that case got thrown out. Mm. I mean, back in the old days, that would never happen. That would have went forward. You know, we had Tommy Witherspoon uh, covering that for the Waco Tribune, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, they wouldn't even they they won't even cover it. You maybe get one article about the sentencing, and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. You wouldn't get any of that coverage. That that that's the best thing to do is to is to just keep keep trying to inform the public so that you can't let them get away with that stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Twenty years ago, twenty years ago, that all that shit would have been swept underneath the rug, and they would have got away with it, and people would have went to prison. That is, sad you know what right I mean? There. Yeah. Well, you know, today marks uh, the seventy-fifth anniversary of uh, D-Day, and I don't want to keep taking up your time, but uh, this is something I am is important because. Uh, you were actually in the service too, and uh, your young one is too. And we got to thank him. That is, I think it's the best when kids get into the service and serve the country. But you got to serve too. Uh, how was your time in the military, and how do you think uh, it's going now in this environment? Well, I I could tell you back in my day, the military was kind of messed up. You know, mm. it was uh, no one was staying in. Everybody would do, you know, three or four years and go home. They had a hell of a retention problem. And nowadays, they take a lot better care of the soldiers. I I went to my son's unit, and it was amazing to me. I mean, how nice it was. And and I would tell them, you know, what what our barracks was like. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it seems like they're taking better care of the soldiers nowadays, you know. And, uh uh, back in my day, it, it was it was kind of tough, you know, and, and we weren't making nothing. I think I made six hundred dollars a month. Oh wow! And I was, and that was at at my height when I was a uh, an E four promotable, which was uh, all I had to do was re re enlist, and I 
would have made sergeant, but I, I went home. It was it was just no money. I mean, mm. I couldn't afford anything. I mean, how how could you live on six hundred bucks a month? But that's what they were paying us back then. Right. You know, now my kid, he's making he's making real good money. You know. What was your so biggest? I, I think they. What was your biggest fear about it? You know, because my son's talking about it all the time now. He's sixteen. He wants to go into uh, either the navy or the army. What was your biggest fear about your son going in? Oh God, war! Of course. I mean, I wanted him to go to college. My son, unlike me, was a straight A student. Mm-hmm. You know, his mother was a straight A student too, and and but you know, he had every door open to him, but. He had watched a lot of friends that had older brothers and sisters that went to four years of college and couldn't find a job. Wow. So he didn't want to take out a student loan, and he he's a jet engine repairman. He's a, on a Chinook helicopter, so he's got a really good job. So, uh, But you know, like anyone, I mean, any parent doesn't want to see their kid go to war, you know? I mean, right. Now, do you think... Uh... You know, the way the political environment is right now, uh, personally, I think he's doing a hell of a job. You know, he's making America, you know, stand out in the world like it used to be, you know, be proud to be an American. But a lot of you got these uh, people on the left, and I don't know what political spectrum you follow. I'm just getting your, uh, you know, your viewpoint. But they actually are sure. embracing socialism. That I would never have heard that during the 80s. No, and, and I'm... I grew up under Reagan, and uh, when I was a soldier, we were taught the scourge of communism. I mean, that's what we were fighting. I, I served, and I, I did a, uh, a thing called Reforger. It was a mock war, and uh, we were sent to Germany, and we, we ran all the way up to the Berlin Wall. You know, so I grew up around that, and, and I, I am shocked as an American that— American citizens openly say that they're socialists. I mean, it's 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 so anti-American to me that I can't even tell you. You mm-hmm. know, well, you bring up the Berlin Wall. <laughs> you bring up the Berlin Wall. Most of these kids don't even know what it was. But you're right. During the '80s, you know, I talk about it sometimes. We were always worried about missiles flying. <laughs> oh yeah. Now we had after the. After Reforger was a 45-day mission, and then we were there for another week, and uh, uh, our gunnery sergeant took us right up to the Berlin Wall, and we went right up there to the sentries, and you look right down the scope at them East German soldiers staring right back at you. I mean, it was real back then. Mm-hmm. You know, It was and only now, a couple clicks, I mean, the nuclear war back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then now I, I, I hear... You know, congressmen and congresswomen openly saying, what's wrong with socialism? I'm like, have, have you seen the scourge of socialism? I mean, have you seen what it's done over the years? I mean, who in the hell would want that? Right. You know? Well, except those that are rich <laughs> and in power. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so that's what they always said. You know, socialist is, is good, good for the socialist, but not the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, what do you, you know, what's your thoughts on the 75th uh, anniversary of uh, D-Day? That's just, it, it's, it's really, it's amazing what they did. Mm-hmm. And God bless them rangers that, that scaled that wall. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. It just makes you so proud to be an American. 
to, to see what they what those men did and, and how young they were and, and how many of them were cut down in a single afternoon, you know? Right. It's just awe-inspiring to, to be an American with, with that. My, my Uncle Marty, uh, he wasn't at D-Day, but uh, he fought at the Battle of the Bulge, and he told me all about it. And, you know, what them guys did back then, I mean, that was really good versus evil you know exactly really exactly uh they didn't have no technology back then it must have been miserable at the battle of the bulge oh yeah now he said they got in a train on a train from the western front and then they were drunk all of them and and as they were sobering up they were getting closer and closer to the line and then he said it was like hell on earth mm-hmm. you know Man. it was not a it was not a, a an easy battle it was it was hard fought, you know. Right. And God bless all them, all them soldiers, all you know, Americans, British, you know, all of them that fought that great war, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what's sad is a lot of them won't be around to see the 80th uh, anniversary because uh, most of them are pushing hundred now. Yeah. So you better shake their hand. Uh, But one final question before we uh, end up, uh, you know, because you were uh, a president with uh, the high spirit and a boss. What advice would you give to these people that just want to go out there and start clubs now? Because that's been a big problem within the scene. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how you would begin to even, uh, you know, go about that. It's such a different world now. You know, back in back in my day when I started riding a Harley, just riding a Harley alone meant you were a bad guy. You know, like right. people look down at you just for riding a Harley. You were like, oh God, you know, here, here this guy, you know. But uh, now it's it's become some kind of almost like a fashion statement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of one of one of the, the the president before me, Abe, in the high spirits, he lives with me here in Arizona, and it just drives him psycho. Every time he sees a new one, and it's the, you know, plumbers union, and then this and that, and the next thing, and it's like, my God, you know. But it's a free country, I guess, you know. Right. It just, it, it just seems like you guys like us that we see our culture that's slipping away. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, that's awesome too, man. You got Abe. That's with. That's just is a testament to the the strong brotherhood that uh, started off with the high spirits that eventually became there's, the West Side. Yeah, there's 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 five of us here, and we're we're all up in age and have uh, uh, problems and the. And the, the warm desert air really, it, it does wonders for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, at least you guys ain't in the walker stage yet, man. We are on the porch. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But I'm sure when that happens, we'll be figuring out a way to strap them on our bikes. <laughs> right. You know what? One thing surprises me about you. And I was like in awe. I was like, how the hell did that happen? You got an Indian. <laughs> well, sure. Well, I, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I've had my 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 problems with Harley over the years. Uh, you know, guys like me have kept them afloat. Uh, you, you're damn they, right. When they started, you know, uh, uh, getting good and making bikes, I mean, they turned our backs on us uh, really hard. I remember a lot of us would turn us uh, Harley Davidson stickers upside down on our bikes just to protest the way they were treating the old timers and I remember and that stuff and 
And and, and a lot of us would, would buy a brand new bike and pull the Harley stickers right off, you know, mm-hmm. and and ordain it with our club stuff, you know. But the, uh, uh, they weren't very friendly to, to us, you know. Right. So I kind of always had a chip on my shoulder about that. And, you know, but I'm an American, and all I I will not ride any other vehicle or drive any other vehicle that's not American, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. I, I, I strictly will buy American. So when when the Indians came out, I was very, very interested in it. And I'm also a gearhead. And, you know, the Harley uses very old technology. The flywheels and the vibration that comes off them is just kind of asinine in a, in a modern day. So I was really paying attention what Indian did. And and uh, uh, they have, you know, crankshaft. It's a real modern. And I took one out for a test drive, and I really liked it. And I was on my way to Sturgis in 16, and I blew a head gasket on, uh, on my bike. And I just said, fuck it, I'm going to trade it in. And they low-balled low me so bad at the Rapid City Harley de- dealer. It just pissed me off. And then they wanted twenty six thousand for a new street bike. Holy cow! And the next day I got up and and I hosed my bike off. I told the fellas I'd I'd meet up with them, and I went over to the Indian dealer and they gave me a very fair price for the bike. And the Indian was almost four thousand dollars cheaper than the Harley. And then they gave me fifteen hundred dollars off for being a veteran. You know, it was just a, a real good deal. And uh, I figured. What the hell? It's all American-made? I'm going to try this thing out. Mm -hmm. And on my way home, you know, 1,350 miles to get home, I was like, wow, this thing's badass. (laughs) How's how's it ride compared to the Harley? Night and day. Uh, One of the things uh, that uh, that bothered me about my uh, 06 street ride is several times... I got some high-speed wobbles, bad wobbles, oh, and they call that the death wobble. Right. And I've experienced it several times, but I don't ride like a normal person. I ride really fast, you know? Mm, right. And But that's no excuse. I shouldn't do that, you know? Right. So exactly. <laughs> you get on an Indian, and it's at 120 miles an hour. It's, it's smooth as can be. There's no vibration, you know? To be honest with you, the Indian has more in common with a Honda Goldwing than it does a Harley, the way they're made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other than that, I mean, they got a traditional engine. It's a, you know, V-twin air-cooled and, and that sort of thing, and it sounds amazing. But, you know, other than that, it's it's uh, uh, it's just a, a modern, well-put-together well motorcycle. And I'll tell you another thing. Everything that I've changed and tore into the bike, it was really easy to do. It's like I was saying to myself, well, I'd love to shake the engineer's hand that did this because I can't tell you how many times I would be working on my Harley and go, well, that's fucking stupid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many people have done that, right? Right. Do, do you so, think uh, Indian uh, is really, uh, I think they're doing fed. I think they're taking over everything from Harley, be, you know, the dirt track I racing and everything, but you think uh, it's because Polaris is backing them? Well, yeah, because Polaris has, has deep pockets. I mean, Polaris is the second biggest motorcycle company in the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, 
they're, they're a natural competitor for Harley. I mean, uh, uh, they've got everything you need. I mean, they're they're mass producing American motorcycles that haven't had them since the forties. Uh, 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 Harley hasn't had competition. Right. You know. Right. And Harley's and, going and downhill you, right now. <laughs> yeah, and I tell you another thing. Uh, um, I was uh, I was asked to sit in on one of these uh, meetings from Polaris when they were working on this this new fixed bearing bike they had. I knew about it last year. They're going to be in real trouble when this thing comes out because it, this thing's going to be an animal. It's, it's, I don't know if you're aware of the new the new one that's coming out. Yeah, it's uh how it's uh, built is uh, totally different and totally modern compared to what anything Harley's throwing out that they consider modern. Yeah, well, it's it's in the same platform as my bike. It's got the same frame and stuff, and it's going to have the same bag and all that. But the motor is is going to just be a monster. And I predict this right here on your show. This is going to be a bike that motorcycle clubs are going to flock to because it's just going to have balls to the wall power. I mean, this thing, this thing is 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 what was left of the old Victory motor, mm-hmm. completely redone, and it's got overhead cams, and it, it's just the thing is just going to be sick. Right. Well, you I know mean, what? A lot of a lot with 120 horsepower stock. <laughs> Holy cow! A lot of you people know? complain that uh, Polaris discontinued uh, the Victory line, but I thought it was a smart move to move everything into the Indian. Sure it was. Sure it was. And I'll tell you that I've, I've got to be good friends with the owner of uh, Scottsdale, Indian, and he told me that it w- he would sell nine or ten Indians to one Victory. People just weren't buying them. They were ugly, you know? Oh, that they were. were they were technology friendly. They were fantastic motors. I mean, you can't knock them. I mean, victories were good bikes, but most of us, me included, thought they were ugly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Their biggest downfall, right? You know, especially their now, early ninety nines, man. What those V ninety two Cs with the trans problems, man? Those were uglier than shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, they were a new company back then, but uh, you know, I think now, I mean, I, they're. No, look out! I, our Harley better be working on an all-new motor that's modern, or they're going to be in trouble. Because this this new motor that they're coming out with is just going to kick ass. Rock you and roll, man! You got it here on the show. Uh, any last words, uh, Ace? Yeah, I'd like to uh, uh, just thank the, the the crew on the west side for for continuing this thing that was started so long ago and, and it makes us proud to know that everything is still there and still running hard. It, it, it really is. So, no, everybody stay safe and, you know, Rock and roll, man. Well, I appreciate you having you on the show, man. This was like the best interview that the show's had. And, you know, again, it was uh, an experience for me uh, being in so young and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, working this show and stuff and having you on board and uh, talking to you about uh, the way the high spirits were, you know, the way the biker lifestyle to me was supposed to be uh, and the way you guys just, you know, the tradition that you guys passed on to everybody. Right on, brother. Right on. Awesome, man. <laughs> well, I thank you for uh, becoming on, uh, Ace, and uh, look forward to uh, 
some new good stories with that India man. If you get, are you going to be training uh, your old one for the new one? Uh, not right away. No, <laughs> I, I I like to I like to to let it run for a year or so because I don't like to keep my bike stock. Like right now, I I my my Indian is all beefed up. I got Andrew's cams in it, and I've got a bunch of work to it, and it it screams. Most Harleys cannot touch me, and so. I, I imagine it's going to take a year or two for the aftermarket companies to start coming out with uh, cams and pipes and stuff for the for the new new bike. You know what I mean? So right, I'll probably sit on the sideline for a year or so until some cool stuff starts coming out, and then I'll take a look at it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, cool, man. Uh, appreciate you having you on. And coming up after the commercial break, we're going to be having Dom on. We're going to be talking about some long-distant riding and maybe setting a Guinness Books of World Records for long-distant riding. Uh, I bet you're having fun out there, Ace, with uh, just the open roads compared to Chicago. <laughs> oh, it's night and day, man. It's night and day. I just wish my body was... A little bit more stronger. I, I, I'd ride morning, noon, and night. <laughs> Rock on. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate having you on, and uh, I'll talk to you later. May I have your attention, please? Need your daily dose of biker news? Then what are you waiting for? Visit HarleyLiberty.com and keep up to date with all the happenings in the biker scene. And wait! There's more. Insane Throttle Biker News is now on Instagram. Come on over and give us a follow and get special video content not seen elsewhere on the net. Just type in Insane Throttle Biker News in the search bar. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. Welcome back, and uh, man, wasn't that an interview about how the West Side Chicago Outlaws got started? Thanks, Ace, for coming on. That was, uh, you know what, that was one of the best interviews I've ever done, and uh, really appreciate it. Hope you guys all uh, enjoyed uh, that interview. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, but now I got uh, Dom on the line. You know my fave, Dom, uh, long rider and uh, always a you know great freaking uh, guest. Uh, comes on, tells it like it is. How you doing, Dom? Uh, not bad today. Not bad. We got good weather here in Connecticut. It's good riding today. <laughs> it's very, a, very good. You know what? It's actually been around here where we haven't had to swim. So <laughs> any uh, day we have sun is uh, good to us over here. Well, you're getting the same weather we had. This year has been really, really bad. Up until last week in Maine, we still had snow up in Maine. It hasn't stopped raining until basically the end of last week. Holy cow. Yeah, you we, know, know, we've been getting the on and off, on and off sun. And, you know, it's real depressing around here. You know, they not only raise the taxes in Illinois, but uh, the weather stinks. So I'm trying to say hey, to my China doll, my wife, you know, what the hell is here anymore for freaking, you know, as soon as the kid gets out of high school, let's get the hell out of here. What she want to do? Move to Wisconsin, right over the border. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's still cold. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't blame you. You know, people don't realize the cold. Yes, it does hold us back on riding almost six months a year. And uh, but up in the northern part of the country, particularly Pennsylvania, all the way up through Maine, we got some of the best riding in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, we got back roads back here that are unbelievable. Well, you know, with Maine, uh, I do want to get out there, especially in the fall, because I hear the colors in the fall are just out of this world. Oh, uh, I do a loop. Michelle and I, my girlfriend, do a loop every single year. And we start in the southern part of Maine. Well, we start in New Haven, all back roads, all the way up to the southern part of Maine. I do a big loop around Caribou, Maine. I come up uh, Route 1. I go to the top of the uh, northern, which is one of the four corners, Model East. Mm-hmm. As a monument up there, you can take pictures, McDonald's across the street. And you're looking straight at Canada, and you come down Route 11. And, oh, it's just beautiful. Route 11 is pretty smooth until you get to the bottom right now. It's pretty beat up. But you'll see moose up there. You'll see bear up there. And the beautiful thing about it, about riding with that down here, the reds. The reds are phenomenal. You're going to see reds like you Reds and yellows, like you've never seen anywhere before. Oh, you know what? That's uh, you know what I look forward to because you always, if you ever watch a movie that's based out on the East Coast, you know some of my favorite movies have to do with the fishing industry, how they go out. Uh, you know, the East Coast they made their living off the ocean and stuff, but you always see these pictures in the fall, these overviews and the trees, and yeah, that's what's got me going into it. Uh, it it's just beautiful. Like I said, I come down eleven. And then I'll pick, I'll pick up uh, 16. I'll run 16 across. And you, what you're really doing is wrapping around Baxter State Park, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a mountain. And you're wrapping around that, and you, you come all the way up 16 to 6, all the way up to Moosehead, Jackman, Maine. Those are the most northern towns, 201 down. Then you can run 16 straight across to Rangeley Lake, beautiful area, small little towns. Uh from there, you go into New Hampshire. You cross into New Hampshire. You got Mount Washington. Beautiful riding. Then you, you pick up uh, 26 to 3, and you could run to the top of uh, Vermont along 105. You pick up 100, a gorgeous route, straight down south through the middle of uh, Vermont. You're going through the Green Mountains and all that. The you, colors are phenomenal. You should start a you know a motorcycle touring company, man. You can make some dough with the way you know the area out there. Do East well, Coast touring, man. <laughs> yeah, I run. I run some some of the roads I run out here, especially in Connecticut, on the east side of ninety one, the east side of the state. I literally pull out of New Haven and I go just a short distance, two or three miles, and you're in back road country roads. Mm-hmm. But what people don't realize here in Connecticut, we don't have big mountains. But we do have as high as 900 feet, but you have a lot of rolling hills that go through these neighborhoods uh, like Chester. There's no straight roads in it at all. So you have roads that way when you're riding, you're actually in a turn, maybe banking to the left, but going up the same at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or it's real tight, 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 tight back roads. I tell people, if you could come here and ride, you could literally ride anything in the world. Rock on, man. Yeah, just beautiful. I would love to have you guys up here in uh, early October. It's a loop. Like I said, I do it every year. We do it. You know, it's just beautiful. Outright, the, the riding in here is just beautiful. Right. When you get out west, it's nice, but everything is straight. Mm-hmm. Florida, if you're into riding, Florida's nice, but everything is straight. 
It's like Long Island. Everything's a right or a left turn. Traffic, 95, you go straight up 95, that's it. Just lock the handlebar straight and just go. <laughs> well, you know what? I, uh, you know, you've been on the show a, a few times, and I'm telling you what, I get emails all the time about how people enjoy you coming on and talking about the long uh, riding stuff. You got a lot of our audience interested. I've actually got uh, a couple emails from a couple different people saying, you know, Dom has inspired them to get into, uh, you know, the iron butt rides and to really start pushing themselves and getting into the sport, man. So you're making a difference uh, for long distance riding out there. Oh, thank you. But I do got to reach out because Saturday night I came home. Uh, Michelle and I were riding uh, the Berkshires actually on Saturday, northern, uh, the northwestern corner of Connecticut. And I came home. So I listened to the Saturday show and I heard a young gentleman. Uh, I guess he was uh, about 38, 39, served in our country. Uh, I don't remember his name, military. He was asking. I think he said he tried to do it. He did an iron butt, mm. maybe like 830 uh, hours. I want to say to that fella, thank you for your service. And what he's got to understand is not everything in the long-distance riding world, like I've said before, is equal. Okay? Mm. When it comes to long-distance riding, especially like the IBA or the Hokahei, you know, that those type of events, those are endurance runs. To do certain amount of miles, like I said, it's not a matter of speed. On a thousand miles in twenty-four hours, you only really need to do forty plus miles an hour. Right. But where the problem comes in is on fuel stops and all that type of stuff, traffic. So what everybody needs to understand is most of the stuff is done on highways. If you look in in the books, basically a good majority of it is done on the highways. Okay, so with the speed limits of 65, 75, in some areas of the country, 85, people don't realize that. Mm. There's areas in the country up north that I ain't going to mention. Don't let them figure it out, do the research. But it really pretty much is no daytime speed limit. There's a nighttime speed limit. Mm. But there's little areas in the country that are legal to do that. You know, there's plenty of areas now out west where the speed limit's 80 miles an hour. So if you're doing 10 over, there's 90 right there or plus. Right. You know, nobody's going to really bother you unless you're doing something stupid, you know. But here's what people need to know. It's a, you need to pick the right roads. If you're going to try to do 1,500 miles in 24 hours, it's very hard to do it on, a, on the back roads where the speed limits are 50 miles an hour and they're twisty turnies. Then you're going through a town where it's, it's only 15 miles an hour and you get traffic, you know what I'm saying? Right. Red lights. You could sit at a red light for two, three minutes. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, right? People don't realize that. You can sit at a red light for two, three minutes. Well, these are the tips and tricks. And, you know, there's two reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today. One, you had an experience at a dealership I want to talk about. And <laughs> the other, I, you know, me and you text back all the time off air. And I had this ideal that I wanted to bring up to you. And I've been looking it up. The Guinness Books of World Record for the most people to set an iron butt ride. You know, go a thousand miles, a whole group. You think it's possible to do? It's possible to do, but there's a lot of legal end of it to do it. Because, number one, most likely you'll be going in, in between two states, two or three states mm-hmm. minimum. And a lot of states, like in the state of Connecticut, you're only allowed to have so many bikes in a group before they have to be broken up into certain groups. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, I think it's 25 bikes maybe. I know I'm probably wrong on the number. You see what I mean? And 
once you hit groups like that, you have to involve law enforcement. Right, they, right. They well, we, don't, we don't want that. <laughs> right, exactly. And then where the other problem comes in, and this goes for the Hoka Hay and the IBA, whenever you put something together like that, there's always people that are going to show up. It's just the nature. Somebody always wants to be first. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it does turn out to be some type of a, you know, a challenge where you know got people to challenge each other well I, you know what i was thinking put you know having you at the head of the pack we plan you know plan this for something like next year because guinness books of records you have to go and go through all this paperwork stuff yes and you do. it would be awesome because i know adam was trying to set the one with the most harleys but i'm talking long distance i'm talking actual riding and, yeah. you know, we get somebody like you to lead the pack and we get maybe 20 bikes to start, you know, just to start the record. And hopefully it puts long distance riding back at the forefront of uh, the lifestyle. You know, yeah. well, get, you know, it'd be awesome to try to set a Guinness Book of World Records for something like that. Uh, it would be great. The whole hey, I did. Uh, we did three states, 500 miles, 150 bikes. Oh, wow. And uh, it was led by a friend of mine, Billy Foles. He just stood out in the front and knew the way to go. And then uh, another fellow by the name uh, Gary Thumper, and out of California, real good guy. And him and I, we did traffic control on it, and we had everybody moving. It was nice, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was good. It wasn't easy. And then we rode up into surges. That was 2015. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, well, you do got it. You know, we start out of maybe Chicago and head the the Sturges. I don't know the, you know, I, I know a good thousand mile one. I know if you're putting a lot of bikes in there, pushing more than a thousand mile iron butt might be a, a little problem for a lot of people. But a thousand miles, I think, is doable. Oh, a thousand miles is definitely doable. It's doable. Mm-hmm. You know, but see, a lot of people, uh, They don't understand, especially the younger. I get a lot of, well, let me back up a little bit. I get a lot of questions from the younger generation right now. The millennials, the 21s, the 22s, the 23s, and the 24 area right now. And matter of fact, when I pull into Ohio in the morning, I pull into Youngstown, I fuel up at a a shell station. And I got a young guy, a couple of, you know, he's one in particular, he's probably 22, 23. And he sees the bike, and he's seen me twice so far, comes to me with all the questions and what to ride and what to look at. So there is a there is an interest in it. There is, there is pretty much an interest. And they're, they're in awe over the bike. You know, they come to me on different questions on what type of bike to buy or, you know, different things, you mm-hmm. know, clothing-wise, you know, that, all that type of stuff. They're young. Right. And so there is a good interest in it. You know, believe it or not, we're getting more and more women into it. Mm-hmm. I got news. Some of the women out there that are doing running the whole day and uh, I ain't but they're badass, man. Well, you yeah, know, I'd love to have some women on a ride. You know that yeah. that's just awesome if we can get some women. But you know, uh, I think uh, what I'd have to do is I'd have to research the forms, and you know, you got to talk back and forth with Guinness. So it would be something for like say next June that we can put together and say, hey, let's get you know fifty bikes together, or let's get you know twenty five. You know that has set an initial record for it, and I think uh, Iron Butt actually be happy too that we're promoting something like that. So hopefully they'd get involved with us. Oh yeah. No, Mike, Michael, Mike will definitely be happy. Right? There is uh, hog chapters that have done that. 
um, Empire Harley Davidson Hog chapter, I think last year or the year before, there was, I think, eight or nine of them that did uh, a thousand miles in one day. Mm. You know, I thought that was really good, you know. But uh, it, it is, the world is not equal when it comes to long-distance riding, especially when it comes to motorcycles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm on a Harley Davidson Softail. It's a 2010, and it looks like something straight out of Easy Rider. You see the pictures. Right. You know, and you can't compare that, and it's air-cooled. You can't compare that to, like, a Honda Goldwing that's water-cooled, car engine, with all the bells and whistles. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I'm doing it on, like, a Goldwing, man. You're breezing at a thousand Right, miles. exactly. <laughs> or, like, let's talk about a Yamaha, a Yamaha uh, FJR 1300. You know, that's a totally different bike, man. Right. You know, that, that's set up for speed and running like that, mm. you know? What I'm running is is basically old school stuff. Air cooled, nothing water cooled, no GPS, just an odometer on the bike. You know, uh, with a tack, you know, small little tack. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a big difference. And what people need to note also is when you get into that, the top guys, a lot of these guys are running eleven and a half gallons worth of fuel. So don't get discouraged if you're trying to do. A thousand miles of fifteen hundred, and you're looking in the book, and you're saying, "Well, this guy did eighteen hundred plus." No, 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 no. Not all things are equal, my friend. You see right. what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, not all things. Well, that's now, like you know that that's something to think about with uh, doing something like that with the Guinness. But you know, moving on because uh, the segment uh, I'm uh, time wise. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you're, anyway, you, back to, you brought back to yesterday. You, you brought this dealership up, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, yesterday, it's a shame, especially in the motorcycle industry today, to see something like that. I, I'm having problems with the soft tail. So I said, you know, a lot of the guys are running gold wings and stuff like that. I went down to my local Harley dealership. And I'm very friendly with the owners. They're friends of mine, brothers Harley Davidson, you know, great people. And I talked with Bobby for a little bit. From Bobby, I went over and I said, let me go to Libby's. Libby's Moto World, New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they've been around for a while, for probably, I think, at least 40 years, maybe. And I've been in there a bunch of times. I buy helmets in there. I buy diner beads in there. The guy behind the counter, the server counter, uh, a rider from the dirt bike era and all that type of stuff. Real nice guy. I go in there yesterday and I'm looking at a Goldwing. I want to look at a Goldwing. Right. And I'm really kicking it around. I don't know too much about the Goldwings. I've never owned a metric bike, you know. And all like the Yamaha. So I said, let me go in and let me see what's what. And I'm serious. I was serious about buying the bike. So I walk in and there's two guys from the neighborhood. They're looking at an Indian, a used Indian chieftain. And uh, nice, very nice bike. The price was very good on the bike. The saddlebags were a little, they look, they got wet. So you know how leather, brown leather gets a little funny. Right. They just needed to be oiled. So I told the two guys in front of the salesman, that this was a good deal on the bike. It was a great price for an Indian. Okay. So I wasn't bad mounting anybody or anything like that. The two, the two fellas left and I proceeded to move on to the Honda Goldwing. I thought I was looking at a brand new Goldwing. Apparently it was a 2016. I liked the bike. It looked like similar to my, my mechanics bike. He's got an older Goldwing. The, the seat kind of wraps up. It's got a backrest. So I looked at it and I started asking legitimately quest, legitimate questions on it. You know, warranty, are there any extras? Can I raise the handlebars? The people got out of control. They were pissed at me because I was asking 
you know, is there any like drivetrain upgrades or anything, any tuning like upgrades on the bike? <laughs> and it was serious questions. And I explained to the guy that, you know, I want to, if I take the bike, I'm going to use it for five months, maybe four months. And the bike will have about 60,000 miles on it. And I explained to the man when I bought my Harley Davidson Rogue Glide, and this is no fault of Brothers Harley Davidson. I was into the bike for fifty thousand dollars. Four, three months later, I went to trade the bike in for a different bike because the bike was too tall. I was having a little problem with the bike, mm-hmm. and there was there was problems with it. I could only get twenty three thousand for the bike, and that was from a bunch of different dealerships. Ollie Davidson told me hold out for thirty five thousand. It never happened, mm. so I canceled the extended warranty on it. That was sixteen hundred bucks. I ran out the two year warranty. When two years came, I took the bike apart. I put an Owen suspension in it, Thunder Max tuner, set of ape hangers, took the stupid floorboards off, put a set of forward controls on it, the set of off road running lights because the LED lights are very dangerous up here. They're a half light. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I explained that to the man very nicely. I don't want to get into another bike and be stuck. The man, the owners got upset and they started telling me, yelling, well, if you trade the bike in in November, we're not going to take the bike. We don't want the bike. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Then they start telling me what I'm doing is illegal. That I'm out on the roads running hundred miles an hour, blah, blah, blah. It's illegal. You can't be doing this. They told me if I bought that Honda Goldwing and I bought that Honda Goldwing in for service, they're not going to service it for abuse, extreme abuse for running at 90 miles an hour or so. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) What the hell is that? (laughs) Wait, this gets even better. So we got into a pissing match in the place. And I I explained to the guy real nice. You know, I I was like, listen, guy, you know, uh, I'm riding with the IBA, doing all this type of stuff, and I'm on. The guy had no idea what type of bike I was on because he just assumed I was on a road glide because I had told him about my road glide. Uh He didn't know I was on a soft tail. So (laughs) then he starts going off telling me that there's no effing way that any air-cooled Harley Davidson or Indian is going to outdo a Honda. We've never I said, well, I'm asking about the drivetrain on it. And he's telling me they've never had a problem with the drivetrain. And I'm saying, I know guys who had problems with the drivetrain. Right. There's nothing better on the road. I'm like, wow. It, it actually came down to the dealership. If my mechanic didn't call, and my, they know my mechanic. Because my mechanic, Eddie, used to work for Honda and all them people. Right. I told you, he comes from the dirt bike world. He's very knowledgeable. All right. Paulie's the number one engine builder. He worked for Holly Davidson. Holds all sorts of records on engine building. All right? Uh-huh. So my mechanic happened to call when that guy and I basically squared off. If Eddie didn't call when he did, he was getting punched in the face. I was ready to go to jail. <laughs> How are you going to explain to the public, I'm coming in there to look at a bike. And because you don't like the way I ride? You see what I'm saying? That's ridiculous. That is some ignorant, rub yuppie crap right there, man. Unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It's, you know, you, you see it all over the place. And I don't, I'm not trying to badmouth the long-distance riding world, okay? If you got to be on your bike and you got to carry 11 and a half gallons worth of fuel and you got to have a GPS and a radar detector and all this other bullshit, you're in a car. 
Right, you might as well be. Car tire. Check this out. That was the other problem. I went in there asking them about car tires on Honda Goldwings. Everybody knows that that's a common thing. I got guys that are running Honda Goldwings and they're running car tires. Uh-huh. He went off on me because I asked him, you know, what kind of tire are they running? Because I was maybe trying to put one on my Harley Davidson. I know people have done it on Harley Davidson's too. I have a friend of mine that lives in Alaska. And he puts a car tire on and it helps him get him down down here when it starts to snow in September. Right. Okay, but it's not made for turns. I understand that. Then the guy's telling me Honda doesn't do anything like that. But then two minutes later, he's telling me, well, when the guy's coming with the car tire, the first thing we do is take it off because we can't sell it that way. <laughs> so <laughs> he's got to this shit up. He's counterdicting himself left and right. He sounds like he don't know what the hell that he's doing. Wait, this gets even better. And somewhere in the argument, he starts yelling at me that they got a guy on a Yamaha riding, I guess, from New Haven, Connecticut, all the way down to the bottom of South America. I turned around and looked at him. I said, dude, I said, why don't you try riding from the bottom of South America to Poodle Bay and then to Miami, Florida? I said, my friend is the second person in the world to do it. And matter of fact, he's the first person in the world to do it twice. He's running it right now. That's Gabe, the attorney who rides. Right, Abe, you were talking about. Gabe. Yes, he's an attorney out of Miami. He's in the process of doing it right now. I have no idea where he is in it. You know, obviously there's no communication, but he's in the process of it. Right. Yeah, they had a meltdown. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, and then I said, to the, I said to the sales guy, do you even know where Poodle Bay is? And he looked at me, no. I said, that's the most northern point in Alaska up the toll road. <laughs> that's as far as you could possibly ride in this side of the continent, you know, America. Right. See, you know, no, you, you, you could tell that they're only marketing to a certain segment of riders, man. And that's too bad, too, because uh, the metric bikes, they're coming up, man. They're giving uh, Harley, Indian, uh, all that uh, a run for their money because they're good looking bikes. They run hard, but the people sell them are goofs. <laughs> You're 100% right. That's why I went to look at the bike. I said, what, you know, let me go look at this stuff. Let me, let me educate myself. Mm hmm. You know, I'm just not comfortable in like a BMW position. Right, right. Uh, I have to sit back. I use forward controls. My legs are out. Even my road glide. I was one of the first people in the country to rolling sands that have forward controls on a on a, a street glide or a road glide. <laughs> so I, I I like the soft tail style. My legs are forward. I'm comfortable in that. I could run. I could sit here all day in turns and run. Literally, lay the bike around and turns with one hand. You're not going to do that with one of those big bikes. Mm. Well, you, you know what? You, you kept your temper because me, I wouldn't have been able to, man. <laughs> you know, well, that's why I go to private parties because I can't deal with dealership stupidity. <laughs> you know, for one, they look at me, they see you come, and it's like, screw you, whatever. And it's like, dude, I'd probably get three of your freaking bikes right now, you idiots. <laughs> you know, well, I don't, well, wear, I don't wear the suit, but hey, I can buy three bikes off the showroom floor right now. You jerk off. <laughs> that was the funny part. I showed up yesterday wearing a pair of jeans that are full of oil and stuff like that from working on the bike you know what I mean? i'm one of those guys that wipe my hands on my thighs you know what i mean <laughs> and i had an old um halloween t-shirt on that i had you know work right. shirt from the with all advertisements you know from local places in uh. connecticut I was wearing. So I looked like I had no money. I was unshaven. My hair wasn't even combed. 
I hadn't, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Right. So I, I look basically like I'm homeless. <laughs> <laughs> but I went in there legitimately as a customer. You know, who cares if I wear a suit or if I don't wear a suit? I'm just, I can't even tie a tie. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, when I, I told my family, when you, when, they, when you bury me, just make sure it's a fresh 81 t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's all. Cause that's basically what I wear, right. you know, t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that, that was just out of control. And if the mechanic didn't call and he knows my mechanic, they all worked together at one time. I was squaring off to punch this guy straight in the face because we were we were face to face. <laughs> I reached in the pocket, pulled the phone up. I says, oh, here you go. Here's Eddie now. Wham. And he got on the phone and he started, Eddie, your friend is obnoxious. I don't want him in my store. Get him out of my store. Right. Eddie, Eddie thought the guy was joking. What, said, no, what, what was joking. What's the name of the dealer again? Libby's Moto World, New Haven, Connecticut. Well, you hear that, right? Libby's Motor World, New Haven, Connecticut. Now you're worldwide getting blasted, you idiots. One more thing, one more thing everybody needs to hear. Right now, I want to talk about something real quick if I got a second. Yeah, go ahead. I've been running, I've been running Dunlap tires for quite a while now. Okay? The Dunlap tires, I remember in 2015, I was down in Daytona. And I got into an argument with a Dunlap representative, and I said the 200s don't come with nearly as much rubber as a 180 does. The man told me, oh, all the tires come with the same tire thread depth. Well, he went into JP Cycles, and he pulled out two tires. Right in front of everybody, he apologized to me. He saw that the tires were not equal. A couple months later, all the 200s started coming with over 10, 30 seconds, almost 13, 30 seconds of tire. The same exact thread depth that a 180 would come, which would be a touring tire. Mm-hmm. Well, for two years, I ran that tire. I was able to get it almost 7,500 miles out of it on the highway. But every tire I put on needed two weights of uh, two ounces of weight, counterweight on, on the rim. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this year, I started with an old tire from last year. The tire was fine. I'm running this, you know, the same gear in combination. I noticed that the tires are coming with way less rubber on them. The fatter you go on the tire, from a 180 all the way to a 240 or a 230, the less thread depth you have on the tire. Okay? This is a major problem on the roads. Major problem. Okay? You take that 240 or 230, it only comes with 630 seconds of thread depth on it. Okay? Mm. You hit a big puddle, you're hydroplaning. Oh, Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. I tried to uh, address this with Dunlap Tire, and I tried to address this a little bit with drag. Apparently, they don't give a shit. They know, not, they know that there's a problem. I explained to them that this year I started it. I'm riding at 37-degree temperatures. You know, I'm not one of these idiots from Florida that starts riding in January, you know, in the nice, you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm riding. My, my warmest morning I've had up here so far has been 40 degrees running through northern Pennsylvania. And every morning, basically, light rain. Okay, so you need you need a good tire. All right? So what I'm trying to say is, I went from almost 7,500 miles out of a tire down to 4,500 miles out of a tire. Oh, that's a big dip right there. That's huge. I mic up every tire. And the rubber compound has changed. I called Kasuma Grafair, Dunlap, and the guy pu- actually pulled the, the spec book out. And he told me that that tire should have minimum 10, 30 seconds on it. 
I'm like, dude, they only have barely nine. Okay. And he's like, the tie is no good. This come right out of the consumer fair guy from Dunlap. I've said something to a bunch of people and they basically look at me like F you. Hmm. Okay. But here's what, what I'm, I've been looking to do. And I got in touch with Abate of Long Island and, uh, last week at a NAS, uh, Long Island um, pig roast, uh, the vice president of uh, Rampage, Ray Canonas, introduced me to Jim Barr, the president of Abate of Long Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty interesting. Him and I spent a couple nights ago on the phone, uh, quite a bit of time going over stuff. It's not something that Abate would touch. But it's something that needs to be looked at in the motorcycle industry. What about the Motorcycle Safety Foundation? Well, that's what I'm, I'm trying to deal with now. I'm trying to learn how to deal with that. It's a major issue. And here's the thing, and this is not Harley-Davidson's fault or Yamaha or anybody like that. This is the tire manufacturers themselves. Mm. Because right now I'm running, believe it or not, uh, uh, Metzler, 888. And... Uh, JP Cycles actually hooked me up with that. They, JP Cycles is good. They actually test stuff out. They're down in Daytona. You know, they run them on the track. Right. So one of the engineers said, Dom, he says, you know, we've been running these Metzels and we're comparing them to the Dunlaps and they're burying the Dunlaps. Well, the guy was right. But the Metzler only comes with eight thirty seconds of t- eight to nine thirty seconds of tire thread on it. So I'm only getting 3,000 miles out of a Metzler. But the Metzels are so good that when I put them on the rim, the first one didn't even need any balancing weight. The next one barely, barely, barely needed a piece of weight. And at high speeds and stuff like that, the the tie is perfect. It showed me all the problems with the Dunlap because my soft tail was real bad at, you know, 80, 90, you get a bounce out of it, you know, real bad, no matter what we do with the tires. Right. So that's something in the motorcycle world that really, really, really needs to be addressed because I hear everybody talk about safety and all this stuff. The most important thing on a motorcycle is the tires. Well, you know what I'll do is I'll get a hold of uh, either Hot Rod or something or get uh, contact with the Motorcycle Safety Foundation and uh, get their information and get it uh, over to you. Maybe you guys can work on it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Same thing real quick with the wheel bearings. There's a lot of really bad wheel bearings, especially coming out of Drag Magazine. And the brake pads aren't good either. Anything that's aluminum and chrome, stay away from it, people. It's all garbage. All garbage. Yeah. You're going to put on your bike, put solid stainless or brass. It weighs a little more. It'll last forever. Rock you know, it's all, it's all, it's all, all, all garbage. Just all uh, the stuff like that. No, there's been a, there's been a lot, a lot of problems, a lot of problems out there. And the motorcycle industry is trying to sweep it under. I know times are tough, but it's only making it that much harder to bring new people into it. Right, they uh, you see, know, it's yep. expensive. Exactly, man. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what, uh, Dom? I really appreciate you having on, uh, sharing your story about that uh, dealership. And if you're out that way, I'd stay away from them, folks. I'd stay them away from them. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what I want to say for last word? 
F you, Libby. <laughs> you know what? I you know what? I should call Libby's up and uh, give them freaking kind of hell, man. What are you guys doing over there, you morons? But uh, again, I really appreciate having you on, Dom. Don't forget, everybody, to fig- uh, visit our partners, IL Motor. Uh, they got some of the best motorcycle gear and helmets uh, out there, especially these modular ones. And you'll be seeing me do a review on that. Uh, we just picked them up as a sponsor. And I really believe in their products. You can click uh, the description in the show links and uh, go take a look at them. They're real good uh, helmets, man. Uh, They're cool. They got vents. They got LEDs on the back. Uh, Pretty cool stuff. But, uh, again, thanks a lot, uh, Dom, for coming on the show. And uh, let's give them hell out there on the roads this year. Thank you, and I appreciate everybody. Listen, ride safe. And we're into the time now. This is Time of year to be out there riding. If you're not out there now, <laughs> something's wrong with you. <laughs> exactly. Happy 420, everybody. You too, man. Talk to you later. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machapari, and if you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you'll probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the Motorcycle Madhouse, the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode, download episodes to listen offline whenever you want and wherever you are, easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social media platforms like Instagram, and just search for Motorcycle Madhouse on the Spotify app, or browse podcast in the Your Library tab, and follow me so you'll never miss an episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Spotify is the world's leading music streaming platform, and now it can be your go-to podcast too. Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. And welcome back, everyone. And um, thank you for sticking in with a long show today. Got a lot of interesting stuff coming on. Uh, Right about now, uh, don't forget on Monday, we are going to be talking about Freddie Angelo and his case. That's going to be a good one. But right now, to the right, you can actually see something that is making the rounds on social media. And this was actually sent to us. And you know that we have to do our research. And especially when you got something like this uh, being pictured and all the stuff going on down in Texas with the being the epicenter of uh, Motorcycle Club profiling and all the crap. But, uh, yeah, you know, one thing I do hate is when somebody makes a statement and you find out the opposite is actually true. Take a look at this real quick. Okay, got some interesting stuff here. Let's take a look. Uh, This was sent to me, and this is a, a Mikey's post. Please don't believe the saying, snitches are a dying breed. More like they are being bred. A Diamond 13 club with a Texas bottom rocker, 1% sponsored out of North Houston and Liberty County, 
But I guess it's cool when the 1% Liberty County president is narrating the video for the police anyway. Outlaws are a dying breed. And this is a picture of uh, somebody wearing a patch upside down. Now, next one, I you know, the question I got from that is, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, as far as snitching, and I just uh, received this in the Court of Appeals for the First District of Texas, number 0111-00403-CR, Willard K. Webb, who's the uh, appellate, versus the state of Texas. Now, this was a ruling that was handed down, and in there I find a lot of interesting stuff. One of them being... Now, you know, this is based on what we, uh, you know, that picture right there about uh, informants. In and one of the paragraphs in there, in contrast, the state called Melvin and Chris Cup to testify during its case in chief. The record reveals that Melvin was not present during the murder. Okay, let's go to number two here. And this is interesting. The following day, Melvin again met with Webb and Michael. Webb told Melvin that he had tried to poison Sanchez at the party with some pills. He later flipped Sanchez over the railing of the bridge after Sanchez had stumbled out of the Escalade. According to Melvin, this is on a witness stand, Webb stated that he had thrown Sanchez over the railing because Webb was tired of taking care of Sanchez. Melvin acknowledged that the state had charged him for the ATM thefts. He testified that he had received nothing in exchange for his testimony against Webb. Yes, he took the stand and he was a witness for the prosecution. Now let's go on. According to Melvin Cup, Webb told him that he had attempted to poison Sanchez at the party by giving him some pills and tech uh what is this uh toxicology screen confirms that sanchez had seroquel in his body at the time of death melvin also recalled that his brother michael told him that webb threw sanchez off the bridge and after they left the party although webb was present with michael uh when michael told melvin uh, what had uh, webb had done webb said nothing but Going back to this picture right here. Please don't believe the saying snitches are a dying breed. Well, I wonder what it means when you take a stand and you testify against someone. I'm just wondering, what's that called? I think it's called the snitch. A rat. Hmm. I, I might be mistaken. But that is just the way I look at it when the state calls you and you're a witness for the state. And I am also interested in where they, you know, it don't say in that uh, thing, but uh, he claims not to get anything from uh, the prosecution. So my question is, why did you testify then? You didn't get nothing out of the deal. So you openly just went and testified against somebody? Hmm. Now, another thing here. Let's go to this thing here. Let's go. All right. Uh, let's see here. All three of the Cup brothers of Channelville, Texas, were privileged, charged, and convicted in the theft of ATM machines around the Houston area and the murder of one of their accomplishments in said theft. There is a great deal of public 
speculation that Mikey Cup is a confidential informant for the FBI and or state police. And this is why prosecution for his role in the attacks of veterans groups and Christian ministry groups have been discouraged or in several incidences prevented by high-ranking government officials. At least four such community outreach organizations have had members surrounded at gunpoint, beaten and robbed by members of the Beast East Motorcycle Gang, allegedly on cops orders. Death threats have been publicly posted on Facebook by Cup against the bar owner. Okay, we're gonna, we have to go back here and zoom out to go down a little bit here. Let's see here. Uh, let's see here. They are actually also talking about bringing RICO charges. You know, it's a whole mess down there. But, uh -huh, you know, this don't sound real, you know, cool, man. It, it really don't. It might just be me. But uh, to date, and here's what I was telling you guys on, when I was talking about this incident. To date... Five of the 19 men involved have been arrested and charged with engaging in organized criminal activity, a first-degree felony. Uh, sources within the Montgomery County Gang Task Force have stated more arrests are coming, including possible RICO charges. Possible RICO charges. And it talks about uh, against Cup and his brothers Mark and Melvin for their role in ordering the assault. Now, my question is, do you guys do your freaking, you know, due diligence really on people? You are following somebody who testified on a stand against somebody else. He, uh, he testified, and uh, what I'll do is I'm going to use Mediafire, and I'll put the link in the description box of this whole thing. Anybody can read this whole appellate decision, but it clearly states in there that, yes, indeed, he testified. So, you know, it's kind of like calling the pot the kettle black, you know, in this picture, uh, you know, they're bread. Hmm. You got to think there, guys. Got to think about who you're following and stuff like that. But that's really interesting stuff. I'll have the link in the description box for everybody to read. Ah, there you go. So that is the picture, guys. What do you think? So that was making its rounds all over the internet. And I just... It's mind-blowing that a statement like that be, can be put out there and to come find out there was people, their own people are snitching. The brothers are snitching. They're on the stand. What the hell is that guy? You know what? No wonder I'm not in the clubs anymore because, damn, man. Uh, here's my suggestion for all clubs. Start hiring PIs or do lie detector tests. That way you can find out what the hell, you know, people are doing. Because, yeah, look in that description box and go ahead and upload or download that. You'll get the whole thing. You'll get the whole story from there. But, yeah, that from the Beast MG. And you know what? Talking about that, didn't I tell you guys a couple weeks ago that uh, people's heads are going to start rolling, that they're going to start getting busted and all that stuff for that uh, video when they mobbed that, uh, those two guys? Well, it's starting to happen. 
And yes, from our understanding, there's people starting to flip with inside of uh, going that. But hey, I predicted it. But hey, you know, I don't know nothing. Uh, but before we finish off the show, uh, there's something that really, really got to me, man. Uh, up here, there, this school actually gave an autistic boy. And you know, everybody knows autistic kids, man. Uh, they gave him the worst behaved or something. And I'll t take a look at this, and I'll be right back to close out. 11-year-old Achilles Castajon's last days of school are ones his parents would rather forget. Achilles is autistic. Nonverbal, he occasionally rocks back and forth and shakes. Traits the boys' special education teachers at Gary's Bailey Preparatory Academy should be familiar with. Do you think one would know and understand uh, the conditions of autism and have more patience to deal with children who suffer from autism? Which is why Estella and Rick Casajan were shocked and hurt when Achilles was given this award by his teacher at an end-of-the-school-year luncheon. It says, Most Annoying Male, with the name of the school spelled wrong. I didn't want to cause a scene, you know, with other parents there. So I left the award on the table and tried to walk away. And the teacher came back and she's like, oh, Kitty still got his award. Rick Castajon is thankful his son does not understand what the award means. When they called him up, he was just excited to get a, you know, gold star, you know, because it's shiny. Estella Castajon, who did not attend the awards lunch, went to school the next day demanding an apology. She never got one from the teacher or the principal. However, the school district did apologize. A written statement by Dr. Pete Maricus reads in part, quote, the Gary Community School Corporation does not condone this type of behavior and will continue to put the safety and well-being of our students first. The Castajons hope this is a lesson for people, especially teachers, to understand children with autism. Can you believe that, man, what they did to that kid? That is freaking unbelievable. What some ignorance, man. That teacher needs to be kicked in the head and the principal kicked in the face. Unfreaking real. You don't do that to kids. That's unfreaking real. But anyway, don't forget uh, Sunday we have uh, a new episode of Motorcycle Madhouse Radio coming out. Uh, don't forget to visit our sponsors. Thank a lot, uh, Greg, for uh, grabbing a helmet from them. They got some great helmets, man. Uh, it's ILM uh, Motorsports. Uh, we got a link in the description box. And Monday we got that uh, big show up about uh, Freddie Angelo. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the program. Thanks, Coco, for the donation. You rock, man. I'll talk to you guys later. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle crack wide open.